Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Hi, this is Dr. John Townsend, and you're listening to Life Giver. Hi, this is Taya Kyle, and you're listening to Life Giver. Hey, this is Dr. Les Parrott, and you're listening to Life Giver. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey Weathers. I am thrilled to bring to you Gary Allen Taylor from Axis. I have been following Axis for a little while now. If you've been listening to the podcast, um, you know that I have a 13-year-old boy, and we've been talking a lot about parenting. And if we're, if the podcast is really going to be about how to breathe life into your marriage and family, parenting is a huge part of that. And so it was important to me to do a parenting series where we have some really good discussion on how do we give our best to our kids, especially in the lifestyle of service. And so I've invited Gary Allen to join us for this series Um, to talk specifically about teenagers. And I will tell you that if you've not checked out Axis and what they're doing, you're definitely going to want to after this episode. I have not found another organization that is really striving to teach us as parents how to invest in our kids the way that Axis does. So Gary Allen, thank you so much and welcome to the episode. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, letting me join you from Colorado where it's... uh, you know, it's sunny today, but uh, spring out here is a weird thing. I grew up in the South, and so it's supposed to have, we're supposed to have green grass and flowers and playing golf right now, and we will still get probably 20 to 30 inches of snow between now and May. So I uh, I would rather be in South Carolina where you are. So. I, you were talking <laughs> about this before we started recording because you're there in Colorado. I actually, that was our first duty station was Fort Carson, Colorado, and I love and miss Colorado so much. And you're right, like it's still cold and you could get some more snow. And I was telling you right before we started that I've got my neighbor next door that they are like mowing the grass and spring is out and pollen is terrible here. And so if you guys can hear like a lawnmower or something throughout this podcast, I had no control and that's what it is. So I am, I'm envious of Colorado. It's amazing out there. So are you located in Colorado? Yeah, um, we were founded here about 11 years ago and our mission in ministry really is to help parents navigate the teen years with their kids. So especially with, you know, uh, Gen Z, which is really kind of any kid who's around five to 17 years old, um, they are the first digital natives uh, that have ever been born. They're, they don't know a world outside of the smartphone. And so it's really changing how they see themselves, how they see the world, uh, how they navigate relationships, how they navigate sexuality, um, and all of those things. And so what we do at Axis uh, here in Colorado Springs is just provide ministry and opportunity for parents to understand your kid's world, 
uh, to help uh, lead them and, and uh, train them and really raise them in, in a hostile kind of chaotic culture. And so we do that on a weekly basis with our culture translator, which is a weekly email. We do uh, other resources like parent guides. So we take any topic from Snapchat to uh, this new app called Amino, and we just help parents understand here's what's going on, uh, here's why your teens are using this, and here's a conversation to, to have with them to just know, you know, what are you doing in your room by yourself, and how can I help kind of guide you and, and provide you wisdom in this kind of strange world they live in? I think that that is an incredible mission, and I do, I do definitely want to pick apart some of the resources that you guys have because um, I think most people who know of you guys are huge fans of the Culture Translator, including my husband and myself, so I hope that we're going to talk a little bit more about that so that um, those listening know where to find that, um, and I also love those packages, those other resources that you guys have too, so I hope to get to that as well. Um, I really w loved what you said about Gen Z and how we could identify what is the Gen Z generation and those of us that are parenting teenagers right now probably have a Gen Z teenager so could you unpack just a little bit more what we might see from a Gen Z teenager yeah definitely so they are um, one kind of demographically Gen Z was born around 1999 and, and on and so you know, when I first started at Axis about five years ago, everyone was talking about millennials. Well, no one cares about millennials anymore because they've all grown up. You know, they're, they're out of the house, they're in college, they're getting jobs. And so again, my kids are 14, 11, and 10. They're all Gen Z. And they think differently than millennials. Um, in some ways, they are very similar to baby boomers. They are more really? traditional in their way of life. Yeah, it's kind of weird um, that they are more traditional when it comes to education, when it comes to jobs, when it comes to how they spend their money. And yet on the flip side, Gen Z is very, I would say liberal. And you know, that word has a lot of um, connotations to it. And I don't necessarily mean it in a, as a value statement. They're just more free thinking when it comes to things like sexuality, things like race, things like gender. Um, and so Gen Z is having conversations with one another um, and they are far more prone to be interested in social media, um, or excuse me, social justice type issues. And so you see students marching, you know, this week about gun control and gun violence. And so they are an incredibly emotional generation uh, who needs probably the wisdom of an older generation to help continue to, to steward them. And, and in a lot of ways, it's kind of fun because they, they do seem to be a little bit more um, encouraged by the fact that they think that they can make a better world. In fact, in a recent study, 90% of Gen Z uh, students who were asked said that they really believed that they were going to be a part of, of founding a new generation. And so wow. they call themselves the founders. Yeah, as in, you know, like as Americans, we, we hear the word founding fathers and we think of the people who, of course, founded our nation. They really kind of see themselves in that same vein, that they want to found and start a new generation. So they, they have a ton of wonder, a ton of optimism. And I think what our role as parents is to help guide that toward, uh, you know, maybe some more wise decisions for them. So who is the Generation Z parents? How would you say that the parents shape Generation Z? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think that they 
in a lot of ways, they are seeing some of the, the things that we've not done well and wanting mm-hmm. to, to kind of course correct those. Um, I think for a lot of us, we've put, we've put career ahead of family. We've put um, making money, which again, there's nothing wrong with that um, in, in as, as the primary thing. And if I can just sort of pursue the American dream, which again, nothing wrong with the American dream. I have a house, I have a fence, I have two cars. Uh, I love those things. And yet they're seeing that is, is not quite enough. They're looking to us and going, is there more to life than just these things? And then can I make an impact and a difference? And so I love the fact that they are building on, I think, the foundation that we have given them, which is hopefully something very solid, something very rooted, great values in, in terms of, of sacrifice or loyalty or service. And they want to take that and do even more with it. Um, and so their, their ways of serving uh, may not necessarily be the ways that I think we were taught to serve. Uh, it could be that they're joining more justice-oriented uh, movements that are not necessarily structured, uh, but are uh, more more opportunities for them to join in their peers that are doing, you know, kind of good work. So I don't know if that is a great explanation, but yeah, no, I think it's a great explanation, and I think because that's I think that's what we are going to be challenged with as parents of Generation Z is understanding who we are and what's important to us and what's valuable to us as parents, and how we right. might see those differences in the kids that we're raising. And I think what's so difficult about parenting um, is that when you finally become that parent and you're excited to shape, you know, this young person, and then you realize there's so many different things that clash and the world has changed so much since we were kids. And, you know, I was listening to what you were saying about our generation and it seems like the parent generation right now is very not centered, but work ethic is extremely important. And so when you were saying we tend to strive for that American dream and and it's all about being responsible with what you've been given and working really hard. And I can see how the flip side of that would be that the kids would grow up and say, work is awesome, but there's gotta be more than just that. So I can see how that might've switched over. They're a very emotional generation. Uh, to where you and I probably made decisions based on uh, the intellect or what we think or facts. We also trusted our parents that, you know, here's the path that we want you to take. We want you to go to school. We want you to get uh, a, a good education, go to college, get a job. So very traditional paths. They are more of a feeling and emotionally driven uh, culture. And they're not necessarily looking to us for guidance. They're looking for, to one another Uh, for guidance. And so that's why social media, that's why their voices that are impacting them are actually peer voices, not necessarily um, our generation who really kind of trusted those who went before us. And so, you know, I think that generation before them, those of us who are parents now, we would have trusted our elders and and gone to them when we had a question, you know, is this good or is this bad? I'm going to go ask mom and dad. Um, what our teens are doing today is when they're asking, is this good? Is this bad? Is this a place that I should go? They're not necessarily asking us. They're asking one another. Um, and again, that's just a, a change in how they are relating to the world. And it doesn't mean that they're, they're, they could be choosing bad things. It just means that their, their source of truth is rooted in a different relationship than, than ours. 
That is fascinating. It's incredibly fascinating. And it actually leads me to the next question, which is, um, what would you say is our Gen Z's biggest obstacles and challenges to what they're going to be facing every day? Because my mind as a parent hears what you just said, and I go, wow, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to take my mind and go, that doesn't have to be a bad thing that they're looking to peers for truth. It can be a strength. It can be a source of strength. But as a parent, my mind automatically goes, oh no, what does that mean about where they're getting their truth from? Yeah, and I, I would say that it's the myriad of voices that are coming to them on a daily basis, that they are being bombarded with, um, you know, the average kid sees about 3,000 advertisements per day. Mm. And, and they're spending, between, the average middle schooler spends about nine hours with technology, the average high schooler spends about 11 hours with technology. And so they are hearing and being exposed to things that, you know, you and I, we just weren't. Um, things like pornography, for instance, you know, um, I can remember as a, as a young boy kind of stumbling across pornography and I didn't really even know what it was. Imagine, um, you know, a 14 year old boy today who has unfettered access to a smartphone and those things are being delivered to him on a 24 seven basis. And so I just think the big change really is the amount of voices um, and the messages that are just constantly being guarded to them and them not having the filter to be able to know, is this good? Is this bad? Is this something that I should reject? And again, when we, when we uh, team that with the fact that they're going to their own friends who are hearing these same voices instead of us for answers, you know, that can be really problematic and, and scary as well for them. You know, it's funny, uh, lately I was joking with my husband that I feel like my 13 year old is talking to me through memes. Like even conversationally, yeah, right. it's like, guess what meme I found today? And I, ha I even asked last right. night, is this going to be our conversations through teenage? You know, and so there's just so many differences. And you're right, they're getting so much information. They have access to so much information. Schools now are teaching their kids through laptops, their own personal laptops, where they do all of their work through Google Docs and through um, a Google account and being able to search and research for those answers. No more are we like writing physical papers and then turning them in and getting feedback, they're getting them feedback digitally. And so, so much information is coming in. And so when I asked on Facebook, you know, what is your biggest concern about raising your teenager? And I know this is why access exists is the number one answer was technology. Like, what do we do with all of this technology? We're trying so much to um, control it or, um, at least filter it as best as possible without completely isolating our kids from the world. And so I guess my next question for you would be, as a parent, how immersed should we actually be into our kids' worlds to, in order to understand what it is that they're being inundated with every day? Should we be doing all the video games with them and watching all the YouTube? And, and, or maybe that's just why the culture translator exists for us. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Um, we do parent trainings all over, and parents ask us that same question: Is how much do I need to be, you know, knee deep or neck deep in the culture that my kids up in, and and when is that a good thing, and when is that not? And I think it's a it's a healthy tension and a and a difficult balancing act because we do want to know you know, the, the influences and the messages and the people that are, are really shaping them. Uh, like Logan Paul, for instance, you know, huge, huge YouTube star. 
And, and I think the question then is to just ask them, hey, what are you watching? Um, why are you resonating with this? What are the main messages that you're taking? And then also, um, because there's a fine line between knowing enough to be able to start a conversation, but also providing them a, a different alternative, maybe something more beautiful, something more good, maybe something more true. And so we have to engage them. We have to go back to them. We can't expect them to come to us. Um, and so in the same way, if you are, if you are in some type of, and I guess your audiences would really understand this, if, if they're serving in the military overseas and they are engaging um, a population group that speaks a different language from them, that has different habits and customs and rituals and even belief systems, it's really difficult to serve them um, if, if you don't meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. And so learning their language, learning their customs, then you can invite them maybe into something more beautiful. I think the same thing happens with our kids. We have to know enough about the world they live in, but then provide something different. Hey, do you know mom reads books? She doesn't just watch YouTube stars and here's why. Or, um, you know, I, I, I don't like watch, I don't like binge watching movies because, or TV shows, because here's what I think it does for me. And so it's speaking their language, it's building empathy with their world, but in the same way, we're, we're kind of should be calling them something more beautiful. And I think that then begs the question, are we modeling as parents uh, a different alternative, or are we just doing the same thing? Mm -hmm. You know, I, my, my daughter's best friend was, was uh, at the house the other night, and she was heading home, and I was like, hey, Eliana, what are you going to be doing tonight? And she said, I don't know. I'll probably go home and watch my mom and dad stare at their iPhones. And wow. I was just like, oh, no, you know, that's, I do the same thing. Now, I am as, just as addicted to my technology as the average 17-year-old boy is. And so if we aren't modeling for them something different, if we're not providing uh, better habits around our tech, all they're doing is looking at us and going, you do it too. Why, why shouldn't I? So I think there's that tension that, that exists there. That's a huge tension. And so this is, it's kind of like this spectrum of extremes, right? I mean, are we keeping check on how we are being introduced to technology and how that influences our world as parents? But at the same time, are we um, respecting the fact that this generation is being raised in a, in a completely different way in a completely different world? They don't know a world outside of their smartphone. But to them, it's, to us, it's just a device that makes life better. To them, it's kind of like an appendage. It, it's a it's a third arm. It's a second brain. And you know, fifty three percent of millennials uh, say they would rather lose their sense of smell than lose access to their smartphones. Wow. And then Gen Z. Uh, 25% more likely than even millennials to be addicted to their devices. And so, again, having empathy for the fact that we've given them these devices from the very beginning, uh, can't just knee jerk, you know, take them away because they sometimes don't even know how to exist outside of uh, the tech that they've, you know, grown so accustomed to. That's such a fascinating concept because I think about our generation and how we evolved to see it come into being, right? We can all remember in high school and there wasn't cell phones even. And really there, I don't think there was even email when we were in high school. And so, and I think the tendency, I guess, with us and that generation, knowing what it was like to not have it is to feel like we need to somehow make our children experience life without all of it because life wouldn't be as full or meaningful if they didn't know what it was like without the technology. And, and perhaps it's a little bit more of a balance because we can't completely cut it all off because you're right, that's all they've ever seen and all they know. 
Yeah, and I think that if we tried to cut it off, they would simply rebel. And, and you know, we just need to know they're always one step ahead of us anyways. <laughs> if we think we've got that phone locked down, there's, there's a new app that's figured out how to unlock it. And so for us, it's not just, um, it's not just telling students, here's what you can and can't do. It's really helping form with them, them the wisdom and the, um, the desire on their part to, to use this technology well. Uh, to steward it well, and to kind of frame their hearts to want to do the right thing. Um, and so that's a long-term, uh, you know, parenting process to where I don't want my child to um, not look at porn. And so what I would do is just try to close off the entire world to him, as opposed to saying, I want you to choose, even if you are exposed to that, to say no to it. And so... Mm-hmm because we're just never going to be able to close off to them. And so our hope is that as parents, we would guide them toward wanting to choose the good and reject the bad, to choose something that is life-giving and reject something that can be harmful for them, even if it's something as simple as a social media app. Well, that is a a super powerful mission that you guys have. And one that is not, um, that not a lot of people are thinking about or going in that direction. And so I think it's really powerful because you're right. There's so much that we can't protect them from, and it can't be just you have access to it or you don't have access to it. It's what will you choose to do with it when you find yourself exposed to it. And that what, what greater character that actually develops in a person, in an individual, your child, than just cutting them off completely. And I know that's a lot of what you guys do is teach parents um, how to set these parameters, how to have these conversations. So um, I know that that's so much that you could get into. And is there a few tips that you could just give us that you guys have found is really helpful or beneficial for parents that they could set a few parameters that feel like a healthy balance? Yeah, there's several. Um, there's some software out there like Circle that Disney produced that would just kind of help monitor screen time. It'll help monitor the sites that your kids are going to. It'll even monitor your own. And then in a lot of ways, it can also just turn off the internet. And so what we're finding is, you know, students today have, when they have unlimited access to anything and everything, um, you know, they're taking their phones with them, you know, into, into the bedroom at night. And one of the things that we have really encouraged parents is, hey, let's not have any screen time, um, you know, after a certain uh, time at night, you know, maybe nine o'clock, we all shut down our devices. Um, and then one of the things really to protect your kids from cyberbullying, from sexting, from just the, the myriad of things that are taking place on, on social media is to remove those screens, remove those smartphones from them at night. Uh, because we've heard from a lot of students who say, you know what, the bullies follow me into my bedroom at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't just escape them, you know, at the schoolyard that they, they follow me home through social media, through Twitter, through, um, you know, all the, through Snapchat and some of the other things. And so I think it's providing some parameters for them. They're not necessarily going to choose on them on their own. They might know in their gut that something is wrong, but they're going to need us sometimes to just step in and say, I love you. I care for you. I, I want to protect you. And this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm maybe limiting your access to things because I want what's best for you. 
and then opening up a conversation with them so then they can push back and say, well, why are you doing that? Well, well, here's why. Here's how I see you acting if you've spent all night on your phone. And we have kids tell us, we, we speak to students all the time, and then it was like, I'm up until 4 a.m. checking my, my Snapchat, checking my streaks, checking, you know, on my social media. I'm not even getting sleep because, again, I've got access to this thing and I don't have the discipline to put it down. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we come in as parents to say, we know you don't have the discipline. It's okay. We're going to help you with that. And so we're going to provide some safe fences that just protect you uh, as you navigate technology. And so what is Access saying is a good age to introduce kids to social media? Because I know when I worked with adolescent girls, um, it was just a wealth of training and information to work with them. I loved it so much. Um, I realized that one of the big, big conversations that I realized was that um, social media at some point became... I don't want to call it necessary, but it was the way that their peers were talking about where they were going to go on Friday night and who's, you know, meeting up with who. And so without having some access to either social media or texting or something made them feel very isolated. So what would you guys say at Access would be a good time to introduce social, social media if you were going to let your kids do it? Yeah, it's, we argue with one another about that. You know, we have um, we have staff who have already introduced it to their kids. We have me, on the other hand, who our fourteen year old doesn't even know what it is. And so, I just think you have to you have to personally know your kid best. Um, you have to know what are their temptations, what are their weaknesses, um, how do they have the ability to navigate this well? Um, do I have the ability to come alongside them? Uh, and navigate this technology well, and then making uh, specific decisions based on your specific kid. Um, And so we don't necessarily prescribe an age. Um, You know, we even have people ask us, should my kid even have a smartphone? And some kids shouldn't. Some kids probably should never have access to a smartphone. Some kids at 10 can. They they can navigate it. They're not tempted to do things that they shouldn't. Um, And so just knowing your student, um, knowing their pitfalls, knowing their weaknesses, um, I think would really help you. And then specifically knowing the, the social media apps that they want to use and asking them, hey, so why do you want Snapchat? What would you use that for? Um, how would that help you in your relationships? Um, would that help or hurt your self-image? Um, what are your friends using Instagram for? And so, you know, again, there is this balance of you. No one wants their kids to be the weirdo. You know, no one wants their kids to be isolated. We we long for them to have meaningful relationships. Um, and so, when the entire world is going in this direction. Um, it, it, it doesn't mean that we just say, we just give up and carte blanche, go, sure, have it all. I do think that they need us to help, you know, all right, well, let's try it. Let's, let's try one social media app and see how you manage that. How is it making you feel? Um, is this making you feel better about yourself or worse? Are you now comparing your body to Selena Gomez and to, you know, Kim Kardashian? Or is this, you know, are you seeing that this really isn't reality? Um, and so just maybe, maybe trying an app or two with them, seeing how it um, Im- impacts them, and then using that as a litmus test to then move on or, or come back from you know, those, those things. What a great answer. I think that's a great answer. <laughs> um, it's not an easy question, and I know you get it all the time. 
So um, speaking of apps, um, I would say that my guess is that our generation flooded Facebook and kicked all, all the millennials off at the time. And then I would say my guess, you can tell me if I'm right, but I think the millennials went on to Instagram. And so you've been saying a lot about Snapchat and I am one of those parents that is clueless about Snapchat because I'm still trying to catch up with Instagram. So um, would you say yeah. Snapchat is the big um, social media for Gen Z? It, it totally is, and, and especially for, for girls, um, you know, it is their way to just sort of document their life, to share their life, to, um, to share, you know, these moments that are now stories, that are now um, every bit of my life is now um, being moved toward projecting what I'm doing and sharing what I'm doing. It, it's kind of the new model. Uh, I think it was Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am. Today's student would say, I share. Therefore, I am. Mm. And so, you know, did it even really happen if I can't post it on Instagram or if I can't post it on Snapchat? And so, uh, again, I think there's some empathy there. Like they are communicating through pictures. They are communicating through video and they are communicating through sharing their stories. And so the, the great part about that is they have cultivated and are using a cool technology to share their story, to connect with their friends Again, I think the balance is when does that overtake in their lives? Um, when are those relationships online uh, replacing real relationships? And do our students know that simply connecting with someone is not necessarily building intimacy or relationship with them? Because they have, you know, 500 friends uh, that they're sharing pics with on, on Snapchat, but do they even know any of them? And do any of those people even know them? Um, as opposed to saying, you know what, I'm going to invest really fully and deeply in a, in a real relationship and a physical relationship, and I can use technology to enhance that relationship, but I shouldn't be using technology to guide all of the, you know, the, my relationships. And and I think that's the, I, th I think that's the wisdom they need from us is is technology helping your relationships or hindering your your relationships because they don't know relationships outside of technology. So, so just helping them navigate that. One of the biggest things I remember hearing when technology really started to take off was how um, the kids, maybe it was the millennials, was the biggest concern at, at that point where um, everybody was saying that they were going to lack social skills um, and that yeah. they're so glued to their phone and so communicating through social media that they're struggling with social skills face to face. Um, and yet you're saying Gen Z is a little bit more emotional and they're more focused on their peers as truth. And um, would you say that they still are struggling with that human connection and with um, those social skills? Or would you say they're starting to look up from those devices and see the, the value of relationships? I think, I think they want to. Um, I think they want to look up from their devices. I but they are also the most lonely generation that we've Gen Z ever is. Um, there was a, yeah, uh, there was a recent study by a professor at San Diego State University, and it's that smartphones have led students to uh, they're drinking less, which is great. They're um, having less car accidents, which is great, um, and they're also just kind of partying less. But those are utilitarian responses to the fact that they are spending Friday night alone in their room with with their smartphone. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's actually a national um, survey now to where the average 16, 7 year old doesn't even have their driver's license. Well, why? You know, I remember being 16. I couldn't wait to get a driver's license. You know, yeah. let's go see yeah. my friends. 
they don't have anywhere to go. They don't need to go anywhere because everything is being delivered on their phone. And so while the smartphone has caused them to, to do some maybe less risky behavior, there's you know less teen pregnancy right now. That's a good thing. Um, they're having less sex simply, well, maybe because they're sexting on their phones or they're looking at porn. What the smartphone is also doing, though, is it is leading them further and further into isolation and anxiety, depression, and then suicide. And so those three things, um, isolation, uh, anxiety, and suicide, are have skyrocketed. And so a lot of the studies believe that those are outcomes from their abuse and addiction to technology. And so you have this weirdness to where they want to be connected, but the device is actually driving them more and more into isolation because they are lacking that that human physical connection with their with their friends. So one more question about Gen Z in particular, and then I'd love for us to get into what can we do as parents, which I think is where Axis really has come in and created some great stuff. Um, you know, you're talking about them being lonely, and I can see that. I can see that happening with kids. And I, I mean, even for military kids, the technology has been wonderful in that instead of them constantly leaving their friends and having no one, they're able to connect through technology, even on their Xbox, they, they can play a video game with their friend who is across the country. Um, they can text right, with right. a friend, they can Skype with a friend or, or whatever, social media with friends. And so that's helping us with technology. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also worried about this idea about them being lonely and anxious and um, having a teenager myself, I'm not sure if you're seeing this with your teenager, but school and academics is completely different than when it was when we were kids as well. And so the standards are so high. And I remember, um, I remember seeing some of the teenagers going ahead of my child and thinking that maybe it was just the adults that were kind of stressing everybody out. But now I'm coming in and I'm seeing, wow, academics are, it's, it's not just good grades anymore that gets you into college. It has to be good grades and it's not even a 4.0, it's a 5.0 now that gets you into school with scholarships. And you have to interview well with scholarships and community service and volunteering and are you a good citizen? And the amount of stress that is on our kids today, I wouldn't be surprised if they, I see this in my 13 year old, he doesn't even have social media and yet he comes home, he does three hours of homework and then what he wants to do is decompress. And we do that by picking up our device, right? right? We, we search for things, we play a game, we do something to decompress. And so I'm wondering if their decompression is even more so on Friday night on their device rather than relating with their peers. So that may be a, a more personal question of what you guys, you see or what Axis is seeing, but do you feel like the standards are different and that kids are under a lot more pressure than they used to be? Yeah, they totally are. Totally are. And I think a lot of it is out, it's our fault. Um, we are putting them toward this standard of excellence and these things that we think are going to make them happy. Um, and so, you know, you've got to get perfect grades. You've got to be the school president. You've got to be, you know, varsity football. And you have to do all of these while looking like you're, you know, in, in control. And they just can't handle all of this. We, we have piled so many expectations on them that we are, uh, I think, robbing them of the joy and beauty of just being a kid, uh, of just being in this space to where, you know, they can enjoy education for the, the sake of lifelong learning. And, and I think that's something that we've done with education. We, have, we are treating our kids like products and not as people. 
Um, we are saying, you know, you have to do this in order to get to the Ivy League school so you can then get the great job so that you can then have, you know, a bigger house than mom and dad have and, and a, a second home and all of those things. And again, there's, there's nothing wrong with pursuing, you know, those, those things, but, but why are you doing them? And then are we forcing our expectations on our kids or are we simply allowing them to, in an appropriate way, find their own journey? Um, to uh, love and enjoy education for education's sake, for helping them to be lifelong learners as opposed to just kind of regurgitating facts that have, you know, nothing to do with the rest of their lives. And so, you know, we, uh, my, my wife and I homeschool, and which means she actually does most of the work. Um, what we're trying to do is, is ask the question, it's not just how much our, our kids know, uh, but what do they actually care about? And, and how are we forming their hearts, not just their head? Because we can fill our kids with a ton of knowledge and facts, and they can grow up to be not great human beings. Um, or we can continue to, to form them and train them and realize that, you know what, you exist um, to help others. You exist to be a part of bringing life and beauty and joy to the world and to serve people who are, you know, less fortunate than you are. And maybe that means that you take a different path. Maybe that means that, you know, the stress and the anxiety to achieve and to perform um, lessons. And, and I think we're also communicating with our kids is that you're not enough. Mm-hmm. You have to do more. Um, you have to perform more, you have to do more, and then I will validate you, then I will love you, and then you will be worth something. As opposed to saying, you know what, you, you are worth something no matter what. You have intrinsic value uh, because you are made in the image of God, and you are my child, and I love you unconditionally. And I think if they start with that, as opposed to like this performance anxiety, then if they go on to Harvard, that's amazing. That's awesome. If they get a free ride, they get, you know, if they're the star quarterback, that's, that's, um, that's even better, right? But if they're not, they still know I have value, and I'm not trying to prove myself every day and be in competition with everyone else. I can actually be in relationship with others. And I know that mom and dad love me and they care for me and they want what's best for me. Um, and, I, and I think that those anxieties can go down if they can simply rest in the fact that no matter what they achieve or don't achieve, they are loved by us and supported by us. And it could very well be that they actually achieve even more because they are resting in that in that you know, confidence and and truth. And so speaking of how we invest in their character, um, I know one of the greatest challenges we have as parents is that, um, you know, growing up, it was, you know, our faith, it was, it was kind of cool to be a Christian and have Christian values. Um, I know growing up in my high school, the coolest group of kids, you know, where even the cheerleaders and the football players was a, a group of Christian kids that were going to church on Wednesday and going to church on Sunday and, and had those values. And it is just not that way anymore. And I think that um, there's a lot of parents that want to parent with those values that they were brought up with. Um, and some of them even wrestle with, you know, where is the Wednesday night church? Where's the Wednesday night supper that I grew up with? It doesn't really exist anymore. And so how do I raise up my kids with good values when the culture today um, is very challenging to live with those values. And so what we're asking of our kids is to live that out in a much different culture. And so what, how, how can we parent them 
and parent that kind of character? Or maybe the question is, what kind of character do we need to build in them in order to face this culture that's so different from ours? That's a great question. I, I'll answer it different. Uh, I think they need a community around them to help them form that character. Um, I think they need to see other people that are on the journey with them beyond mom and dad that say, you know what, we believe um, in, you know, these things. We believe in sexual purity. We believe in a good marriage. We believe in being honest with work. We believe in doing our best. We believe in serving others. We believe in sacrifice. Um, and, and instead of us preaching those things to them, we need to in, invite them into a community that is actually living those things out. Um, and so whether that's your local church or whether that's, you know, a group of, of wives who are getting together, um, who are, you know, journeying through the same thing or, or, or families, you know, for them to see that there are actually people already doing these things that they can, again, model themselves after. Because I think that most of life, you know, I think an educator said that about 40% of life um, in education is pure modeling. Our, our kids are looking at what's going on around them and they are then doing those things. And so for us to say, here are our values and here is a community that is living out those values, even if it's just one other family mm. um, that you can join in, because they're not going to feel as isolated, not as alone or weird if they understand that it's not just mom doing these things, but hey, there's that other cool mom and those other cool kids that are doing this too. I guess we're not so, so strange after all. Mm -hmm. um, so I think linking them to a, to a community that is embracing those values will truly help. Well, I think also that as parents, you know, you keep mentioning that we have to model, right? We have to model for our kids if we're expecting to teach them. And so I think that when I think about our military culture and our first responder culture that lives in such chaos, um, I tend to think that we have to be a model of consistency where our lifestyle doesn't present it. And so what have you guys found? Because this goes right into what AXIS mission actually is, is how do you train up parents to train up kids, right? So what can we as parents do um, to be more consistent in how we raise up our kids? I guess actually the, the question actually is, is how important is it for us to be consistent and present for our kids? You know, it's just, it's just so amazing. I think that with with them being bombarded, uh, you know, their life is chaotic anyways. And then if our home life and, and jobs and, and work schedules and uh, dad's uh, off overseas, you know, that, that just adds a level of stress. And that's a part of that, you know, incredible sacrifice, the burden of, you know, we're doing this, we've chosen to do this, and yet it does come with some challenges. Um, and so understanding those challenges, I think naming those challenges, and then doing some simple things throughout your week to where you carve out some space that is just kind of holy time or um, sacred time to where you have, you know, maybe it's a Friday night or maybe Friday night's a bad idea, but maybe it's a, a Wednesday night and you are committed that I'm going to be home with my kids. We're not going to be on our devices. We're going to eat together um, and we're going to carve out some intentional time to where we are just at rest, at peace. Um, we're not being distracted by everything. Um, and, and, you know, it's what, what my wife and I try to do at least four times a week is, is fully have dinner together with, with our kids. And sometimes that's hard because I'm working late or Emma has ballet or she's got a homeschool group. 
And, and so you're just, you just have to know we can't do this all the time. You know, just life is, is just going to take over. And yet if you have committed to say, but we will uh, intentionally invest in one another and create space for us to just be together as a family. I think that that's going to provide the, the rest and the, um, the peace that you will need to, to engage in the chaotic moments of life. If you know you always have a place to come back to, if your kids know that they have a, a retreat, a time during their week where just they're at rest and they are with you and who knows the conversations that you can have, you know, in those moments of just quiet. And so I think it's being really intentional and just saying, you know what, we're going to be weird. Um, this is going to be strange probably the first time we do it, but you know, Thursday nights, we're going to have a meal together. We're not going to be on our phones. We're not going to turn off the TV and we're just going to see what happens. And then we're going to try it again and try it again and, and build that habit in that ritual into your week to where your kids just come to expect this. And hopefully the, that helps them balance the, you know, the real, the real chaos that, that is happening in, in every one of our lives um, and that they can meet that in a better way. Um, one question before I actually get, get into all the um, services that Access is doing for us. Um, do you have any kids that are saying that are, you know, cause you guys are talking to kids all the time. What are the kids saying about how they can set successfully have different values in the culture around them? So if they're in school and there are differing values on sexuality or differing values on um, what they can watch on TV or YouTube stars, or you know, if there's just different values, what are the kids saying has been successful when they have had um, more conservative values? How have they handled that best? Does that make sense? Does that yeah. question make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that you know, a generation ago, if someone would have asked us, you know, is this sexual lifestyle good or bad, we would have probably gone to scripture or gone to our, our pastor or parents to, to ask them that question, and then we would have trusted their answer. Um, again, today's generation aren't necessarily doing that. They're going to one another, and when they're hearing voices that are, you know, kind of going against what um, we would say they, they really are confused. And so I, I think just encouraging them to say, hey, I know that, you know, probably what you're hearing from school and from your peers is this really loud voice. Uh, but we just want you to know that here's why we believe what we believe. Here's why we're espousing the values that we are espousing. And we actually think that that is tied to some eternal truths, some eternal good things that we find in God, that we find in scripture, that we find in our faith. And helping them hear those voices as opposed to just their peer voices and then being able to wrestle with that. Because, um, you know, I was really fortunate as a kid. I had a, a a, just a solid Christian friend, and we would just sort of retreat to one another. Um, you know, and this is 1980s in Arkansas. It really wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was still a very conservative culture, and yet there were still a lot of things going on that we just didn't participate in. And for them to have a friend that shares their values, that they can at least kind of come together on a Friday night. Like, yep, everybody else is out partying. Everybody else might be smoking weed, but we're just not going to do it. And we're not going to do it together. And it's so important, I think, for you to help them find that 
kid, and it may be just it may be that one one kid, uh, that one friend that they have, that when all things are going wrong, they can retreat back. You know, so Jared and I would we were we were cool, but we really weren't cool. You know, we weren't in the party scene, and I knew that on Friday night I wasn't going to have to be alone because all of our buddies were going off drinking. Would you know, sit at home and watch Star Wars <laughs> or, you know, just play video games. And so having someone to where they don't feel alone, I think is, is really helpful. For I think that's incredible, especially for military families that are constantly traveling and moving. Um, we can tend to get overwhelmed. I know I have felt this way to get overwhelmed with where is um, the support group that they're going to have and maybe just lowering that expectation on us as parents that even just finding the one friend um, doesn't have to be all there is, but it can be plenty that that can be. And it's this idea of having an accountability partner early. And I mean, that's so important for us as adults. Why aren't we thinking of that as for kids as well, that that could be really helpful for them. So um, there's a million questions that I could ask you. You guys are just doing such a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. I found you guys through your summit um, that you presented so many experts at the summit on um, how to really reach your kids and it was fantastic. And so can you share a little bit of what Access is doing and those that are listening, what they can do or how they can find some of the resources on your site? Yeah, yeah totally. So what we wanna do is come alongside parents on a very timely and relevant basis. And so we are creating resources that we deliver directly to you uh, on every week and so you mentioned the culture translator it's basically it. just a weekly email. yeah it, i just finished it for this week <laughs> and so it's like i've got to get this done i, I wait for it every week it's and that so, good oh that's good. oh cool so every week our team creates this email and it's basically the top three things that happen in the life of your team this week that they know about that you and i probably don't know about and it's just a great opportunity to start a conversation with them about the things that are impacting them. And so that's just every Friday. It's free. You can sign up at access.org. That's A-X-I-S dot O-R-G. And it's just give us your name and email and we'll send that to you for free. And then weekly parent guides. And they're just digital resources. They're anywhere from a 10 to 20 minute read on something that we have found in culture that is uh, among teens. And so we just produced a parent guide to Amino. It's a brand new social media app. It's actually really dangerous. Um, and so it's just, hey, mom and dad, here's what Amino is. Here's how students are using it. Here's, you know, really some, some precautions around that. And so we produce those um, resources every week. And then we have kind of some deep dive conversations with parents to where a couple of times a year we do an online conference to where we bring in experts from all over the field of parenting and sexuality and technology. Uh, we interviewed Kirk Cameron the other day, which was kind of funny. Um, and so just helping him, uh, listening to him and his what he has learned about how he is using technology and his platform uh, to really deal with his kids. And so that's our Parenting Teen Summits. They, they take place a couple of times a year, I think in February and then sometime in the fall. And those are just, again, just kind of immersive digital conferences that parents can jump into. They're free. You can pop in and watch a video a day for 30 days. And again, what we are just trying to do is just be that silent partner in your home to, to bridge generational gap. 
Um, and so we kind of exist in this weird world between you and your kid to say, we know the world that your teen exists in. We are experts in that culture. We know the language that they are using. And we know that they need you. Mm-hmm. And you've got to meet them and build common ground with them. And so if it's a conversation about the video Fortnite, for instance, that could be your entree into a more deep, meaningful conversation. But you, can, you may not be able to start there, right? So if you really want to talk with your kid about homosexuality or about gender identity, it's probably not best that you just start deep dive into that conversation. You wanna build up to it. And so we're trying to just help uh, parents with their cultural literacy so they can engage their kids in, in better ways. So again, hey, so I see you're watching Fortnite or I see you're playing Fortnite. Well, did you know that da 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 da? And all of a sudden they're like, holy cow, mom knows about Fortnite or mom, mom watched Black Panther? That's crazy, you know? And again, you're building equity so you can have those deeper conversations. So that's just what we do. We come alongside you uh, every week, uh, sometimes every day, but with some, with some resources that just make you aware and also prepare you for the fact that, again, your kid is, our kids are growing up in a world that is just different from us. And just acknowledging that, I think, is one step toward, um, you know, being a better parent. And then resourcing and understanding that so you can start that conversation is just huge. Well, one of the things that I know that I plan to do is to do the deep dive. I saw there was one on there for Snapchat specifically, and I know that that's one I'm way behind on. And even those listening are probably like, oh my gosh, Corey, I can't believe you're not there yet. But that's one of the, that's one of the places that I need help. Cause I know that that dialogue is going to come up soon. And it, again, I just want to like reiterate to everyone listening, but also to you, Gary Allen, how helpful the culture culture translator is. One of the fun things about the summit that you were just mentioning, the conference of all the speakers and even Kirk Cameron's um, conversation, which I also loved by the way. Um, and he did a great job um, echoing what you're saying, which is basically this idea of how do you slowly, gradually introduce your kids as they are responsible enough to handle all the technology. But what I loved about all these speakers is as they had the opportunity, so many of, of your team would introduce this expert in their field and they would ask a question. And one of the first things these experts would say is my favorite thing is the culture translator. And so, so many people have really grown to just so enjoy and, and be real. I mean, for those that are listening, who've not had the culture translator before, it does give you these conversations that you can have with your kids. There was even one that had, here's the latest emojis and how kids are using it. Um, So important for if you are checking their phone and you're seeing them text or sext for you to be able to know what they're actually communicating to each other. I highly recommend um, everybody listening to go check out access.org so that you can um, allow yourself to be educated with all the resources. I think it's a brilliant strategy to really empower parents specifically. We tend to I don't know if this is an appropriate word, but tend to farm our kids out to other people and expect them to raise our kids when really it comes down to, we have to be the experts of our own children. And I appreciate you at AXIS and everything that you guys are doing to help us do that. So thank you, Gary Allen. Is there anything else that you would wanna say to any of the military or first responder um, community out there as to how they can become who they need to be as parents to raise up Gen Zs? Mm I think just be active um, and know that, you know, I think a lot of times we can think that we've, we've lost a generation or it's too late to have that conversation. Uh, But 
to just jump in and know that your role is to raise your kid and that God has given you everything you need to do that and to lean on him and that there's um, even in the midst of things, I mean, you, you know, whether it be addictions or struggles with um, drugs or alcohol, that there is always hope. There's always room for redemption and that God has not given up on your kids. He's not given up on you and he's given you what you need to be able to serve and help them. And so just lean into that, that hope and then uh, allow that hope to then spur you to action um, to say, okay, I can't do everything right now, but I can do this one thing. And I'm going to start this one conversation with my kid. And then I'm going to trust it tomorrow. I'm going to have enough to start a second conversation and a third conversation and just lean into that space um, and know that, that, that you're going to be okay. Um, and, and you can also feel alone too. I mean, I, I, that, I have no idea uh, what that means to, to have a spouse who is serving overseas and to feel like that, you have the weight of the world on your shoulders um, and the great responsibility um, that you must feel. And I would just encourage you to lean into that and um, to find others who are you know, going alongside you and to know that God is gonna help you uh, manage that and um, really help you deal with, with all of those pressures. So be hopeful, be joyful, and just be proactive. Well, and thank you guys for joining with us and being part of that village because it does make us definitely feel like we're not alone and we've got the resources that you guys have to offer. Thank you, Gary Allen, for joining us and for giving us your time today. Thanks, Corey.